Hello, and welcome to part two of the January Boys Brothers. The Boys Brothers 2000. But first, the sad passing of the legends that are Angus Scrim, and just the other day was announced Alan Rickman, and of course David Bowie. Wow, what a year. Only days in 2016, and these legends are gone. R.I.P. But on with the show. Uh, what can I say about this sequel to The Great Bows Brothers? Yes, it's like the annoying little brother that wants in on what his older brother done and is a loudmouth show-off little annoying shit. Not to say that this movie doesn't have a few gem moments, but this is like the greatest hits of a band long past its prime. Or it's a, remember? You loved this? This is original? Well, here it is again! Almost everything is copied here from the original, but slightly worse. Anyway, I best run down this, the plot and the cast very quickly. Here we go then. Starring Dan Aykroyd, John Goodman, Jai Evan Bonifant, Joe Morton, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Catherine Freeman, The Boys Brothers Band, Paul Schaefer, Eric Clapton, Isaac Hades, Max Landis, and B.B. King, and a few other legends that I probably forgot. Wow, what a cast. Almost the entire cast of the first movie, apart from the ones that sadly died, such as John Belushi, Cab Calaboy, and John Candy. Not forgetting the bug nuts critic, Kerry Fisher, even though she isn't dead, her career was at the time. So onto the plot, Elwood gets released from jail 18 years later, and doesn't know what Jake has died, so he goes looking for family and finds Curtis had a kid on the slime in the 70s, I'm guessing, or 60s. And he goes to put the band back together, something about Russian mafia and voodoo priestess. Um, big sing-off at the end. Wow, oh, what a mess of plot. First thing I'll say about this, why couldn't they get James Belushi to play Jake? Hmm. Second, why is it called Blues Brothers 2000 when they made 1998? Is it because it's a clever title? Hmm. So this movie opens much as the first does, with a Blues Brother getting out of jail, but this time the other one is nowhere to be seen. Spot Frank Oz as the governor. So you went from a corrections officer in a staff backroom to a c the governor in 18 years. Wow, good for him. Although he's a terrible governor if he doesn't even tell one of his prisoners that his own brother has died years earlier. So he gets picked up by a dancer of his old drummer Willie and is driven to buy the new Bluesmobile at a junkyard again. Just like the original, he has to have an old police car. Then he's off to visit the quote penguin again, just like the original. I guess I'll be saying that quite a lot through this podcast. Where she tells him to snap out of his funk and start looking for Curtis's son, which is another thing that annoys me about this movie, is when Curtis is mentioned, all they have is a badly aged publicity photo of Cab Calloway in a dark suit and glasses. A really bad idea. Anyway, the plot kicks off where Elwood decides to track down Curtis's son, but not before he gets a super annoying wise-ass kid named Buster thrown in his lap as comic relief. I guess so. Or it's either that or the trying to connect with the kids of the audience, the target audience. Well, I don't know, but it's a real bad idea anyway. On with the show! So Elwood tracks down Curtis's son and lo and behold, Buster follows him somehow. With no car, no way of following him 
as Elwood gets a ride from a biker. That's the least of the problems I have the plot so far. This is where he finds that Curtis's son is the commander of police of Detroit, I believe, Cable Chamberlain. This is where the bad jokes happen, where he asks Elwood to remove his sunglasses and he has to cover his eyes. So you're trying to tell me in 18 years of hard time, he wore his sunglasses 24-7 and or was never allowed in direct sunlight? Yeah, bullshit. While I'm nitpicking, this is where Elwood tells Cabo or Cabe, get it? This is a bad reference to Cab Calloway. He tells him that his mother had an affair and he is the result of said affair. To which Cab tells him his father was a colonel in the United States Air Force and that he died 14 years previous only to then call his mother and she tells him over the phone, mind, he wasn't his father and she had an affair. So why wait 40 plus years to tell him this? And over the phone, because she said to you any time when the father was still alive or when the father died. Hmm. So Elwood tries to fleece him for the cash to buy the new blues mobile, but gets tossed out after getting told of his crimes and racking up a ridiculous $24 million. And I joke because that's how much the blues was originally cost to make. Tee hee hee. And damages from a couple of cop cars and a few doors. Mm-hmm. Moving on. He gets the money by mysterious ways of the Lord, i.e. Buster steals Cab's wallet and take the money to buy the car. Then the penguin, <coughs> mother superior now, gets told Elwood has stole the kid and the movie kicks into his gear, or does it? Elwood takes the kid, what else, but to a strip joint to quote, get the band back together. Again, just like the original. And just like the original, Elwood throws the car's lighter out of the window, as I was saying, by the numbers, bad sequel. Also spot Ray's music exchange has now been turned into a loan shop. Also, this time Aykroyd doesn't do his own stunt driving, as I guess he's sobered up from his drug fuel binges. Why would a strip joint have a live band? This is where we meet Mac, John Goodman. As I'm guessing, this is the movie's Jake. I just noticed Cab is the John Candy of this movie, as a cop that goes soft on him. Mm. So, this is where Elwood sings while the, quote, girls dance, quote, erotically. It's cheaper to keep her, uh, again, a live band at a strip joint. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one, but moving on. And this is where Elwood notices that Willie is getting pinched by the Russian mob. Again, just like the original, but without the Nazis this time, as I'm guessing Nazis was too hot button, so they switched it to the communist Russian mob. He gets the, the mobsters pissed, that's drunk for my American listeners, drives them into the middle of nowhere and returns to the strip joints. Where Elwood finds out, what do you know, Mac can sing. But not before we set another callback to the original, the HQ of the Russian mob, just so you know, it's the exact same place as the HQ of the, the Nazi party. Again, a live band singing at a strip joint. With no nudity, just bikini clad women with no boobs on show. Come on, this is a 15. Show the hell they show some tits. This is where the Russian mob come in. Uh, all guns are blazing and torch the place. Leading to the first car chase of the movie. Just like the original, but funnier because the mobsters have guns. And all they have is drywall tacks. Funny, right? Nate just lame. And this is where I spotted a terrible mistake. The Russian car explodes outside the burning club. Not once, but twice after Mac and Elwood drive away from the club, leading to the lame, they broke my what? 
Scotch joke, which was a running gag through the original. A burnt house or building, just like the original, where Kerry Fisher blows up Elwood's room at the main only YMCA. Again, copying the original down really badly for it. And cue Aretha Franklin song, just like the original, the one she should have done in the original, but hey, she sings respect here. But not before Mike Elwood and Buster sport the black suits. If you notice, all the backing dancers are dressed in colours taken from Aretha's outfit all matching each other and all custom made outfits from Chanel, costing allegedly $25,000. Also cue the terrible dancing from Elwood and Co, just like the original, again spot Aretha's sister as one of the backing dancers in pink. Spot Elwood's 80s mobile, even though this is 1998. That's a really lame joke, guys. On to a funeral for one of the Russians killed in the car explosion. Well, who knew this, this movie had a conscience? And of course, the funeral is run by the Major D from the first movie. Again, just like the original, they take the guy from the good job and they turn him back into the, the band guitarist. And this is where you move on to Ed's Love Exchange, which I'm guessing is the movie's Ray's Music Exchange and Ray Charles's Chicatel Fever. Wilson Pickett's cameo, but with a much weaker song, 6, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9. Not a patch on tail feather, but just as many backing dancers. Also spot Johnny Lang as the janitor in some terrible 90s outfits. Great role model Elwood turns out to be. He takes a 10 year old to first a strip joint and then a sex line operation. Elwood goes to see his, his old booker from the first movie. And this is where the movie starts going off the rails. Because he sends him to the voodoo high priestess, how they have an addition for another terrible joke and callback to original is the Bluegrass Brothers. Funny, right? Because that's the name they use when they first bumped into Bob. Also, Buster sleeps in the cop's car boot. What? Is that supposed to be funny? No, that's just lame and ridiculous. Then the movie takes a weird turn and falls into a 90s diverse Budweiser looking advert with some of the band singing I have never heard of singing a song again that I have never heard of. As the scene cuts to the classic overview roadmap used in many a road movie and to Elwood doing stupid stuff while driving aka Filler. So finally, after a week, the orphanage finally called the cops on Elwood for kidnapping Buster. Yeah, because that would happen in real life. A fucking week, really. Try a few days. So this leads to an all-points bulletin board for the Bluetsmobile and Elwood. Again, another callback to original, Bob's Country Kitchen. You know, the same Bob would have performed in the original as the Bluegrass Brothers. Except that time it was a bar, this is another country kitchen. Hmm. And some shitty joke where Elwood is covered in shaving foam to escape the cops with some terrible overacting from Goodman. Leads to a chase scene with a crappy version of Everybody Needs Somebody playing. How Elwood quickly gives them a slip by driving into a ditch and letting him past is beyond me. But the cops keep on driving all night and chasing nothing. Really? Come on guys. Ah yes, this is where the movie goes off the rails, because this Bluesmobile, much like the original, has magic powers too. But unlike the original, these powers aren't explained, and a Bluesmobile just drives into a lake, underwater, perfectly fine, ripping off Bond's underwater submarine car, and drives to the other side, perfectly fine. Again, no problems, no explanation, no problems, just go with the flow, guys. 
into the path of rednecks. Because in the original, it was Nazis, cops, and hillbillies. So in this one, it's going to be Russian mob, cops, and rednecks. Lame! There's also a terrible joke about the Jewish, International Jewish Communist Party. What the fuck? Lame. Enemy. On to the country fair in the middle of nowhere where every cop in two states and the feds, not to mention the Russian mafia, are here. So the Elwood and Co. decide to paint the car sky blue and sneak into the Ring of Fire stunt because that's our lame joke of the original where they sung Ring of Fire. And they sing Ghost Riders in the Sky where Spot Max Landis as a Ghost Rider in some terrible effects rated of New Nightmare. Moving on to a lame joke about the new Bill as a remote controlled steering wheel. Okay then, right out. Where Aykroyd has a go on modern music, 90s techno, groove, recycled music, gangster rap and souls slush. Wait till he hears boy bands, girl bands, terrible 90s trance dance fucking garage, hip hop, pop candy, fluff and Justin fucking Bieber. You'll have a heart attack. And cue the James Brown cameo. Also where Cab changes into a Blues Brothers. Ah, gospel music. So this movie covers every type of music apart from dance, techno, rock, pop and metal. So nothing important then. This is the dude you see light moment from the original, but done worse with Cab floating out of the gospel tent, only to suddenly change into a blues brother magically. Except in the original this was charming, I and mean, this is just lame retrend of the same scenes, cut shot for shot almost. So this leads to another car chase and magic jump by the Blazmobile and a huge multi-car pileup. That's the record was held up to date by the Matrix Revolutions. I know I said that last week, but I was wrong. It's this movie. 104 cars news, better be. And it was held up to 2009's G.I. Joe Rise of the Cobra, where they destroyed 112 cars according to the Internet Movie Database. I hate being wrong. This is the first time since 2010. Why? Because car pileups are funny. Isn't that right? Yeah, it was in the 70s, oh, the bloody more, it's in the 90s. Anyway, onto the voodoo priestess that I mentioned earlier. And the movie goes so far off the rails, it crashes into three other movies, causing a multi-star pile-up and killing the careers of a few stars. See, this is how bad it goes off the rails. I'm talking utter shit. <laughs> onto Paul Schaefer cameo, which he was supposed to be in the first, however rejected the script, saying it was an utter piece of shit. However, was begging to be in this movie after it became a bona fide cult classic. Yeah, good move, Paul. With a terrible Louisiana accent uh, from Schiffer, the 300-year-old ugly cannibal voodoo witch played by Erika Bada, Queen Mosefa, Moset even, appears out of the blue just by magic and tells the Blues Brothers that if they want into her Battle of the Bands, how very 90s. They would have to audition for her, but only doing Caribbean music, where Elwood says all they do is blues, rhythm and blues, jazz, funk, soul, etc, 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 but never will ever do Caribbean. So she turns them into zombies, not the Romario zombies, but the classic mindless zombies. Anyway, moving on, they pass and get through, even though they're now statues. And 
this is where the movie goes into star-studded mode of the star-studded Battle of the Band, with such people as B.B. King and Eric Clapton. I guess this is a Cab Calloway part, but only bigger. So the Blues Brothers finally perform Turn On Your Love Light, doing their best to remind you of Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. Mental note, Hollywood, do not like a pre-prepiescent boy sing. It just sounds fucking awful. Surprisingly, the Bruce Brothers lost. However, the Russian and Rednecks burst in all guns a-blazing and interrupt the, quote, fun. So Queen Mosset turns them into rats, as you do. I'm not even going to go there with that one, just moving on. The movie wraps up with a jam session between the Louisiana Gator Boys and the Blues Brothers Band. And the Penguin shows up to break up the fun once again. And Buster blackmails Elwood into taking him as his son, just like the original, to sneak off and into another car chase. Why? Because it was done in the original. Lame. So that wraps up the lame-tastic wannabe rip-off Blues Brothers 2000. I'm going to give this... 4 out of 10, exactly half of what I did to original because this is only half the movie. What gets me is this allegedly took over 3 years to write and 5 years to get the money together for this utter piece of shit. Did Aykroyd not find the script for 2 years, 9 months? Come on, it's a terrible wannabe cult iconic classic. Anyway, follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod and email suggestions you want me to cover at here's johnny's reviews at gmail.com and next week i'm going spooky and doing the x-files fight the future so tune in next week and remember the truth is out there bye